Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Don't Fuck It Up with me, your host, Kyle. And we have a very special guest with you for you this week. You may recognize this person's hot and flexible body from season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race. It is Yuya Hamasaki. Hey, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super duper excited to chat with you. It gives me something to do during the shutdown here, especially <laughs> in New York City. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. And that is one point I, I want to ask you. How is your lockdown life in New York? You know what? It's been kind of calm. In the beginning, I was like, I'm so bored. I'm going in the same I'm in the beginning it was I was in the beginning I was so bored I was going to the same kitchen the same rooms the same square feet but then you know what I've gone it down to a routine where I only go out now and if I go out now I get a bunch of things done together at the same time mm. and if I'm home I find other things to do like you know playing with my wigs playing with my makeup <laughs> or you know just googling stuff on YouTube <laughs> so you keep yourself busy which is yeah what about you I, I'm pretty much the same to be honest uh, our lockdown in Northern Ireland is, has eased a good bit. Um, so we're able to go to restaurants inside and bars and stuff like that. So it's a lot more normal than what it was. Same thing here. Businesses are opening, but we still have the mandatory rule where everybody has to wear a mask to enter. Mm-hmm. And it's just still not the same because it's just everybody just outside eating and yeah. you can't experience the AC and all the shows and all the stuff, but you know what? Hopefully we'll be back up there soon. And surprisingly, New York City is the lowest out of the country. I'm like, huh? Really? really? That's amazing. Yeah, it's the lowest out of the entire country. <laughs> the faster it gets back to normal, the faster I can get back to New York because I've actually uh, a flight booked for January. So hopefully everything is normal again so I can get over. That's awesome. What are you doing in New York City in January? So we, me and my husband were over in November last year for our anniversary, our wedding oh, anniversary. Congrats. And okay. then we thought this year, because our two moms had never been to New York before. So for their Mother's Day gift, we surprised them with a trip to New York. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Well, hopefully by then things will be opened up. But you know what? Even if you are able to come over, things will be so much less hectic because there will be less yeah. people on the street. So it'll exactly. be perfect. It's very, very true. It might actually be a better thing to experience yeah. it when it's slightly quieter. Yeah. But yeah, so what we do with all our guests, we try and go way back before drag was introduced uh, to growing up and how all that came about. So how was growing up for you? I know you grew up in China and then moved to New York. So what was the story behind that? So the whole story, if you want me to digest it into less than... I have all day. So anyway... (laughs) I was in China, yes, um, and there were not many people like me. I feel like I have to tell this whole story every time it gets me like, <laughs> oh my God, I have to I have to relive those trauma stories of being like LGBTQ and mm. by yourself. But anyway, I'll get into it. So I was LGBT, I was gay at the time by myself in China. I didn't know what it was called at the time, as most people at that time wouldn't know what it's called. Even if it was portrayed on television or on social media or in the radio or music, they were always portrayed in a negative perspective where they were mentally ill or that they need help and that they were perverted people. So I didn't know what to deal with that. And I also liked wearing my sister's dresses at the time. She didn't understand at the time. My parents didn't understand at the time. I didn't understand at the time. Mm. So we just went along with it until we got to America. And then I started seeing that it was not accepted in America. It was more strict in America where boys have to be boys, girls have to be girls. And if you were dressing up or behaving or in a certain way as another gender that you are looked down upon. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so I never really got to experiment or dip in that expression of myself where I get to be LGBTQ or, you know, just even holding hands with another guy until I got to high school and my friend introduced me to MySpace. I don't know if you remember MySpace. And, and those times there were a bunch of scene kids, MySpace kids, they were called, and they were dressing up really crazily at the time for that time period compared mm-hmm. to now. Probably not, but at that time, yes. And I was so intrigued uh, by how brave they were and how courageous they were by just stepping out of the norm. And I saw myself, yeah, that might not be me, but that I can sort of kind of sense that is me because I don't feel like I fit in as well. And that's when I started playing with makeup, the wigs, the dresses, the heels. I mean, I did that when I was younger in China, but like never to that extent. And then I just went from there. Yeah, so like you mentioned there, being uh, a member of the LGBT community in China was a bit strange. Was, you said your parents didn't really understand it and yourself, you didn't really understand at the time, but was it ever oppressed in your family or did they just let you kind of do what you like to do? Um, At the time when I was younger doing it, no, until I got a little bit older, probably like by six-ish, that's when Mm -hmm. they started controlling um, what I should put on my body and what songs I should sing and how I should dance and who I should hang out with. Because I think that when I was younger, they just thought, oh, you know, he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. You know, but at the, as they saw, it, I got older and I was still doing it. They thought, oh, maybe it's a little bit more serious than they mm-hmm. thought. And did that have a negative effect on you as a child? Of course. Yeah, I was. that affected me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do and that them thinking that it's bad, then it's probably bad in general, mm-hmm. you know, because it was a disapproval for them. And then you're coming out, obviously, it's a massive part of every gay person's or bi person's existence is that mm-hmm. moment. And how was that moment for you? Was it a, a stressful or kind of scary moment? Uh, what I know, something I never really came out to anybody. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I never really did. I never really had to admit the, hey, I sleep with this and this in the bedroom because I was just so like this already, so flamboyant <laughs> that whenever I talk to people that I never really say, hey, I'm gay. You mm. know, I always felt like it was kind of silly and stupid that we as LGBTQ people have to do that because straight don't had to do that, right? Mm. Why should I have to do that? So I always felt like it was a little bit silly and stupid of coming out. Now, everybody's coming out story is different and if people want to come out, I encourage them. But for me, I always felt like that was a little bit silly on my part because... Mm. I don't have to tell you that I like ice cream. I didn't have to tell you that I like this flavor of candy. Why is it anybody's business who I love and who I want to sleep with? It's nobody's business. So I always never really had to come out. But when they see the way that I talk, that I dress, the way that I behave, they kind of know already. Um, Going back to what I was saying before, um, whenever I have conversations with people, I'll hint them. Oh, I'm seeing this guy. Oh, I'm hanging out. This is my ex. And it kind of hints them, but I never really specifically tell them because I still don't believe that it's anybody's business. I like that. I hope it gets to a point in the world one day where uh, we don't have to come out and it's just accepted. Yeah. It's not a big thing that people have to tell people that they're gay. Yeah. It's nobody's business. It's really Exactly. I like that. And so when you actually discovered your your sexuality, when you got older and you started realizing that you found, found men more attractive... How was that in your your personal space? Did you have like conflicting thoughts? Because obviously your your family were a bit 
strange on the, the, the being gay thing or was it just something you accepted full force in yourself and just carried on? Just, it was just something that I carried on. I was just like, okay, I guess I like men. I guess I'm not attracted to women as much. You know, I never really felt like, oh, I need to hurt myself or anything. Oh, I need mm-hmm. to be sad about it or depressed about it. I just kind of accepted it and know that once I move out of my parents and not under their, you know, their shelter, they're not providing yeah. for me anymore because when you're under their shelter, it's a little bit more strict. I realized that if I move out of their system, life is going to be a lot more better for me. And that even after high school, life is going to be so much better. So I just kind of kept going. It's kind of the mentality where they have the campaign that it gets better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Like I did. life might suck for you right now as a teenager or as a kid, but it's going to get better once you move out of the town that you're in, once you get out of the high school that you're in, and once you move into a bigger city and bigger crowd, there's going to be so much more diversity for you. So I had that mentality in me. Amazing. So when was the first time that you actually discovered drag yourself? The first time I actually discovered drag, I think going back to MySpace, that was kind of it. But the first time I actually dipped into drag was when I was 16 or 15. And it was Halloween in New York City. My friend was like, dress up. I was like, sure. So I dressed up. (laughs) And then it went from there. And it just went from there being as a joke to having fun and getting into clubs into something a little more serious and then again to a career because getting into a bar in New York City is unlike in the UK where it's I believe 18 or 19 mm-hmm. and over here it's like 21 so we did drag so that we can get in so that the security won't recognize it is actually us on the ID <laughs> I did it not because I wanted to drink or party or do drugs because I didn't do any of those things not that I judge but I didn't do it but mm. I did it because I wanted to be around people that were similar to me, who share the same difficulties as me and the same experiences as me, as me. Because even back then, 10, 15 years ago, there were no LGBTQ youth groups here in New York City. Even if they were, they were not really well-funded, that mm. it was like a place you can go and really talk about it and be around people. You know what I mean? So yeah. even same thing with the Stonewall riots, you know, people did it because people went to the bars because it was an underground thing mm-hmm. and people can feel like they can come out and be themselves and hang out with people like them when the night is out, when the daylight is gone, <laughs> you know, in secrecy, they did it. Yeah. And at what point did you discover the persona of Yuha and how did you come up with the name? Sure. The name comes from my birth name, which is Yuha. And I didn't want to pick another name because I want people to recognize me for my name and then see the face and it goes back and forth even in and out of drag but I Mm -hmm. guess going back now it's probably not a good idea but (laughs) Hamasaki comes from the Japanese pop singer Ayumi Hamasaki and I wanted her last name because her last name just sounds like really fierce it sounds like Mm -hmm. you know when you say Hamasaki and then I wanted to have an Asian flair to it so then people hear my name they already know oh it's an Asian girl but prior to that my drag name I had a feeling that I wanted to change it to Yuhua Hamasaki bomb, but I thought that was a little bit too long, so I never got to that. Is it a, very different to your normal personality, or? I would say it's very similar to me out of drag. It's just ex- an extension of who I am, but it's pretty pretty much me, I would say. Even now, I pr- pretty much talk the same, I act the same. Even if I see something, I'll say it's the same thing that I was saying <laughs> in and out of drag. Yeah. I was able, because drag really for me, I don't know how it is for other people, but I think most people can say this as well as that. It gave them confidence, it gave them happiness, and it also gave them courage. And that's what it did for me. And I was able to translate what I learned in drag as Yuhu Hamasaki 
the happiness, courageousness, and bravery and translate that to out of my out of drag character. So even now, I would say I have the same perspectives as me when in drag because mm -hmm. I was able to grasp back onto all those things that I learned in drag. So yeah. I feel like I'm a better person. Amazing. That, that It's really nice to see some like art helps people become stronger and believe in themselves mm -hmm. a lot more and have a lot more confidence. And Definitely. it seems to be very prevalent, prevalent mm -hmm. in the drag community. It seems that their characters become a part of them in a way. Mm -hmm. So from your career and doing this for fun, how or when did it become a career for you? I would say probably, okay, not a career at the time, but I would say when I started doing it, I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't know how far I'm going to do with this, how much money I'm going to make with this, but this is what I want to do because I felt free. Mm -hmm. I felt happy. I was not making a lot of money back then, but I was happy. It was something that I wanted to do because, because as a child in China and as a teenager here in America, I wasn't able to experience all those things that most boys or girls were able to experience during their childhood or in their adolescence years. But doing drag, I was able to grasp back all those years of happiness that I wasn't getting to experience because I knew that if I was to be myself a little bit more, I would be able to show people that I was gay, I was flamboyant, I was feminine, and I didn't want all those things to be shown. So I kind of oppressed all those feelings. So doing drag really gave me that sparkle. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it just went to something like a little bit more serious from there on. And I realized, oh, this is fun, but also I can actually make this work for myself. Yeah. And at what point did you realize after getting gigs and starting to make money that it could become like an actual career full time? I was 17, I want to say. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because Still pretty young. Yeah, but you grow up fast in New York, you know. <laughs> like 17 is like, you. for most people, you've already had your orgies, you've already done your drugs, <laughs> you already had 10 jobs, you already have an apartment, you've been through, you walked through fire and whatnot, you know. You grow up pretty fast here in New York City. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not speaking from experience I'm not speaking from experience but you know <laughs> uh, for anyone that hasn't been to one of your shows someone coming to a Yohamasaki show what can they expect to see well don't expect anything you would see at Work the World because <laughs> <laughs> because it, you won't get you know <laughs> you won't get a back screen or lights or fire any of that but it's fun it's you know we make it work and I think it's a lot of fun, a lot of good energy. It's very diverse, I would say, because I'm not too picky with the audience. And, you know, I try to include, make it very inclusive for everybody so that when it comes to the show, they don't feel like, oh, this show is only if you are a gay man. Oh, this show is only if you are young. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit out of age range. I can't understand. Like, there's a variety for every person in the room where I'll do music from different decades, different types of music. There's jokes for everybody. So that it becomes the show. They feel like, oh, I want to come back. And, oh, I feel like this is actually something that I can relate to. And not just like, oh, I paid a ticket and just watched the show. I want to be part of the show. And is there bars that you would normally regularly perform in in New York? Not now because of the virus. But before mm -hmm. I was, I was doing the viewing party for Drag Race. But it is called Pieces Bar and in the West Village across the street from Stonewall. Oh, amazing. I was literally just up there when I was in... New York last time mm -hmm. and obviously everyone knows 
you were on Drag Race season 10. So obviously it's a big talking point for people once they're looking into you. Um, what made you actually decide to audition for the show? Honestly, I always feel like, honestly, I felt like I was doing the same thing over and over and over here in New York City where I just went into a bar, unpacked my things, did my makeup, did a show, unpacked, got out of drag, went home. I felt like I reached the glass ceiling here in New York City. I've won my pageants, I've won my awards, I've done my titles, I've done this bar, that bar, this bar, that bar, this type of stage. I just felt like I hit a glass ceiling where I feel like the next level to really advance my career and also push what I want to do is the main stage, the mm. bigger stage, the bigger platform. And that was RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, there's more out there now with Dragula and Camp Wanakiki and, you know, there's more things out there. But mm. before, you know, that was kind of like the only route. I think, I think I can say this for everybody is that the longer you wait to get on, the more you're going to develop, the more mm. you're going to grow as a person. You as a person, you are always going to grow. You are always going to develop your skills, your intellectuals, and your skills to communicate with other people. So we as people, I think we're always developing. Mm-hmm. Is it true that you, uh, to hide that you were cast on the show, that you told everyone that you ran a coma? Oh, that was just something stupid. Yes, <laughs> I did. That was just something stupid. It was, people kept asking, like, are you on the show? Are you on the show? Like, leave me the fuck alone. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> you know you can't talk about it and i think it's especially rude when people ask you knowing that you can't break the rule because otherwise it'll get you in trouble you get sued and they still ask you it's like asking you to commit a crime hey can you go in that store and steal that shirt for me please 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 even though you told them no please 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 steal that shirt for me that's that's i think it's very rude yeah it's very rude just give whoever you think it's on drag race uk just give them their space their time don't say anything when their time comes, when they're announced, just congratulate them. That's it. Even in New York, even in the U.S. version, don't bother asking them. Don't ask them where they've been. Don't ask them if they're on the show. <laughs> even if you suspect it, don't ask them. It's rude. Like, it, what, are you, what are they supposed to say? Yeah, you know? it's, it's hard to ask someone something so, like, big because, like you said, contracts are involved. You get in trouble for mentioning the smallest thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, because it puts them in a, uh, because it puts them in a, an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what are they supposed to say? It's like me asking you, "Hey, are you gay? Are yeah. you gay? Tell me, who are you gay? Are you gay? Are you are you sucking dick? Are you sucking dick?" No. <laughs> it's, it's nobody's business. You yeah. know, that, that's business. true. And so, walking into workroom day one, what was going through your head? Walking into the workroom the first day. I didn't really get to see it because when you walked in, the cameras are on already, the lights are on, so you can't even get to really see it and absorb it. Mm-hmm. And then they make you go talk to the girls. So I didn't really get to experience it by myself, like yeah. at a museum. But I would say it was a lot bigger than I expected from watching on TV. It's a little bit less quiet. It's a lot more <laughs> quiet, I would say, because on TV, when you watch this, the sound effects, there's the... Mm-hmm music in the background but when you're there just like I feel like you're in a really thick hallway you're like talking and there's echoing yeah and did you like looking at the the other queens that walked into the room at the time who did you think was going to be your biggest competition day one uh I had a feeling Eureka was going to be a big competition because she's done it before and Mm -hmm. she might know some stuff about you know winning the judges over or or just ways to maneuver the competition mentally, not even like what she has in her luggage. I just meant like mentally, like mm-hmm. she's mentally more prepared than the rest of us. I knew she was going to be 
a front runner. Did, did it make you more comfortable knowing some of the other queens on the show? I would say so. I would say so. You see a familiar face when you're halfway across the country. That makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. No. When you were going on the show and you're making your own looks, you're getting all these looks uh, prepared. And apparently, from what I heard, that was Miss Cracker asked you to make certain outfits for her. And you had to decline. Yeah, there were several. There was Dusty, there was Monet, there was Cracker. And I just told them I was busy. Like, I'm busy. <laughs> I have a huge order. I can't. And they were, they were all saying, like, oh, we can pay you more money. But, like, I, 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 was, I can't. And then I didn't tell anybody, you know, when you get mm-hmm. on, you can't tell anybody. So they didn't know I was on. But I kind of knew they were on because I guess their friends love to talk. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of went around like that they were on and yeah. And I'd even quit my gigs with my, with my, the bars that I worked at until mm. I was on the flight. I was saying, oh, okay. Hey. but they did it in advance, but I did it while I was on the plane there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nobody knew. And you did actually make Miss Cracker's uh, alter ego, like the yes. saboteur yes. outfit, is not correct? Yeah. Yes, we made that a while back before we even knew what the character, what the category was. And I think she just happens to have it and then she actually used it when it came in handy. Yeah, we didn't specifically make that for that, though. Yeah, it was just a look that we made prior. When you had to to lip sync for your life, is it as scary as it looks on TV? Um, I don't know. For me, it was just like, okay, whatever. It's just kind of (laughs) another moment in your career. Okay, okay, whatever. By that time, I was so exhausted already. We have all worked like seven, eight days straight. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was just like, whatever. If I could, oh well, I'm here. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, push whatever you got out of me. I'm exhausted already. Like, even if I faint right now, I'd be like, whatever. Just, just get my body out. <laughs> just l- let's get this done. Yeah, maybe if it was like maybe earlier in the day, I've been like a little bit more like you know, in tune with what's going on, but it was just so late. I was so exhausted. Like, mm. yeah. And looking back on the experience as a whole, would you change anything or would you keep it all the same? I would have listened to my instincts a little bit more because when I was there, I was trying to please the judges. I was trying to please, you know, trying to match what the other girls were doing. But mm. I think if I did what I wanted to do, I think I would have shined a little bit better. Because same thing, even watching Evie Otley, she gave no F to what anybody thought about her. <laughs> Very true. And she did, she did her drag at her own terms. And I'm so, so, so um, proud of that. And also that is so good to see because mm-hmm. I wish I had more of that confidence. And is there any challenges that you wish you were able to do? Uh, what was it called? Bossy Rossi. I wish I did Bossy Rossi. I think... I would do well in that because I love watching trashy TV, like Mm -hmm. Jerry Springer, Maury, all those shows that you watch at 10 a.m. when your parents are away during the weekend. I love watching those. And a question that that. people always ask queens that don't make it to this point in the competition, if you can Can talk about it. Can I ask? Is it, what am I going to do for Snatch Game? Yes. (laughs) I brought several, people always love to ask (laughs) who are you going to do for Snatch Game? Um, I was gonna, I brought several options. I brought Sayuri from Memoirs of a Geisha. I brought Lois Griffin from Family Guy. And I also brought Jackie Chan and also Christina Aguilera. Okay. Um, and then when I saw her on the first episode, I was like, wow, I don't know if I can do Christina anymore because <laughs> they, got the, they got the real Christina and they can really compare it to mine and see if mine is like really like a flop or not. You know yeah. what I mean? 
So yeah, I brought those four. So who do you think, if you were there at the time, you would have picked? I would have picked probably for safety reasons, I would still probably have gone with Christina Aguilera because she's such a drag queen already with her mm-hmm. makeup, the way she talks, the way she sings. I mean, who sings like, <laughs> but she does it well. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. She does. Yeah. And was there any moments while you were still there that didn't err that you wish did? Like maybe like we sweet moments between yourself and another uh, queen or anything that pops into your head? Um, it was not, this was not filmed at all. So I don't think they even had the footage of this. This was when I got my critiques and we went backstage and we were about to break for lunch and Eureka mouthed over to me from across the room. Someone was like getting her undressed. She mouthed, I loved you to me. And I just broke down crying, like absolutely crying, bawling in the corner. And then Miss Cracker came over, she hugged me, she brushed my hair because <laughs> everybody knew that I was gonna lip sync already. And by that time, everybody was so tired, so exhausted. And like anything anybody says to you, you get either very angry or very sad. So mm-hmm. that's how I felt. I felt really sad. But everybody was really happy. They were going, oh, we're safe. We're going to go to lunch now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like me in the corner, just like brushing my wig. And then Miss Cracker came over and hugged me from behind. And I just thought, <laughs> 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 I'm going home, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> And um, we have uh, discussed your being a professional seamstress before already. Um, how did you start that? Like, how did you learn to make all these garments? At first, it was for my Barbies as a kid in China. So I was making the mini versions. I was making for, I don't even know if they were called Barbies at the times back then because they were like the Chinese version of it. So, mm-hmm. but you understood there were dolls that I was yeah. making it for. And then when I came to America, I started helping my mother because she worked in a factory at that time. And then eventually I just started making things for myself when I, uh, uh, I went back to sewing after I started doing drag because I didn't want to pay people to sew outfits for me because it's never going to be the way that I want. The thinning is always wonky, I find it. And they always charge a lot of money. So I figured that if I want to save some money, make my own stuff. Yeah, make myself. Looking back on the the outfits that you have made for yourself or previous queens, is there one that pops into your head that you can go, uh, that's my favorite thing I've ever like created? I wouldn't say favorite, but I think it was memorable. It was the one that Bob wore at the pit stop, the purple gown. I remember that because it took forever and then she actually wore it for the pit stop. So yeah, I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's talk about uh, bootleg opinions, formerly... Okay bootleg fashion photo review okay so what made you uh start that series i was like everybody's doing content why don't i do my content and i'm good with clothes i'm good with sewing i'm good Mm -hmm. with fashion so why don't i do my own thing so that's how it went about i didn't want to do like a review show where i was going to review the acting challenges or the comedy challenges that's not my (laughs) not my forte yeah they say do talk about what you are best in so that's when i went in that direction my favorite part of your show is the way that you can constructively break down each garment that Mm -hmm. you may not have liked but you can see where it could have been made better and is that just from your obviously your uh professional seamstress brain just looking at something and saying oh this could be tweaked 
Yeah, I would say so, because I think most people, when they see a garment, they don't push it to the full potential that it has. They think like, oh, it's going to work, but they don't mm -hmm. think like, what can I do to make it a little bit better yeah. so that it's not like the rest of them? So it gives it that spark. That's what I think. And I think a lot of people that watches it, they might not understand the language of sewing, mm -hmm. like what I'm saying when I say a sentence or like when I use a word. So I think the graphics really could help people understand it a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And you obviously have your Drag Race sisters appearing on this show. Mm -hmm. Who has been your, your favorite guest? Because <laughs> for me, it is Jeremy. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. I've watched them episodes multiple times because uh -huh. you two together, it just seems like so much fun. Yeah, she is a lot of fun. She is honestly made for TV. Whether you like her or hate her on Drag Race, she is made for TV because she honestly does not give a F about what she thinks or mm -hmm. says. Well, actually, let me paraphrase that. She does not give a F about what she says or what she might think in her head and she'll still say it, but it's <laughs> so good yeah. for content. Like whether it's for video or TV, it's so good. You know, and I, and I have totally respect for that. So who's your favorite guest that you've had on the show? Oh my, there's a bunch of them, including, I would say Jeremy is one of them because she's made such good TV on video and she does not care what people think about her. So mm -hmm. I think that's great. But I would say all of them, they're all great. It's just like RuPaul. She gets to set hand, she gets to hand select her queens. I get to hand select my queens as well. As she would say on RuPaul's Drag Race, I have handpicked all of you one by one. And I have <laughs> handpicked all of my bootleg guests one by, by one. one. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously the age old question that everyone has asked, has probably asked you since you've appeared on the show, Given the all opportunity <laughs> for JJ All-Stars. Would I? Probably not now because there's the virus. After I leave filming and come back and when it's airing, I'll be just like season 12 and All-Stars 5 and Drag yeah. Race Canada. I won't be able to perform or make my money back. So mm. probably not now. But maybe <laughs> later on when the virus is over, when that's over, sure, sure. And that will also give me more time to develop and grow as a person and also mm. as an artist as well. So I think it's perfect timing. So now, sorry, baby. Give you maybe a year or, or two, maybe seven or yeah. eight, and we'll yeah. hopefully see you there. Yeah, when, when Drag Race is streaming on Patreon by that time already. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta make the money somehow. Right? Like, it's so, like, drenched out. Already they've milked every drop off of VH1 and logo that it's just streaming on YouTube and then Patreon. <laughs> We've got so many different versions coming now. So we've got season two of UK, you've got Holland, you've another All-Stars eventually, season 13, and Canada else, and Canada, yeah. and now the Vegas uh, show about the Vegas residency. So and celebrity drag race. I don't know if that's happening anymore, but well, we'll, we'll probably see. not. <laughs> but it's, it's good that we have so much content because we can talk about all this content Mm -hmm. And I hope in the future we can continually still see this amount of new stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, we're living in a very lucky age right now because when I was growing up, we didn't have any of this. So we mm -hmm. didn't see any representation on TV. So this is good for the young kids and for yeah. myself and for other people so that they feel like they're represented on television so that when they go back home, they feel like they're not alone in this world. You know? Yeah. I think Drag Race affects people in a positive way because viewers, like I said before, get to see themselves on TV and they feel like they're represented correctly on TV. 
when I didn't see any Asians or queer people on television, it made me feel like I was worthless. It made me feel like I was no good. Mm-hmm. It made me got to a point where I felt like I was embarrassed to speak my own language, eat my own culture food in front of my friends. Yeah. So that's affected had on me. So when I feel like when young people see themselves being represented, it puts them in a positive spotlight that there is a place for them up there and that they might feel different now. They might feel like they're not fitting in, but when they leave whatever town they're in, whatever school they're in, they're going to go out there and they're going to be celebrated for whoever they are. And there's a big party out there waiting for them. And also um, for people that do not identify as LGBTQ, when they watch it as a kid, and as they get older, it just makes them a little bit more open-minded as people. And they're going to go so much more further. Their interactions with other people is going to be a lot better because they see the world as a whole and not mm-hmm. just see it as a micro perspective. Yeah. It makes them. I've seen so many stories of younger people introducing the likes of Drag Race to their older generation, maybe their parents and their grandparents as a stepping stone to show them what their life is like. And maybe that helps them uh, come out. I've heard before it's it's kind of easing people into to a reality that they live. Oh yeah, totally. Because you see that oh, we're not just having orgies and sex and you know doing drugs and drinking. We're actually real people. We mm-hmm. sleep, we breathe. We're somebody's children. We're somebody's partner. We're somebody's lover. You know, we all sleep, breathe, and love the same way that like everybody else. Yeah, we're just human. Exactly. And so before we close up, I want to ask you, how can the listeners support you at this time? Do you have uh, merchandise? Obviously, you have YouTube and maybe even just tell them your your Venmo so they can send you some money. Sure. I don't know if y'all have Venmo there in UK, but for Venmo or PayPal. Yeah, so you can find me under Yuwa Hamasaki on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And my PayPal is yuwahamasaki at gmail.com or Vemo at yuwahamasaki or my store at yuwahamasaki.com slash store. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, at least your, your uniform over everything so it's easy yeah. to find you. Yeah, because some, people's, because some people's website could be like the only yuwa and then their Facebook is like yuwahamasaki and then their website is like you are Masaki official. And then when you say all those things, it's like, it gets really confusing. It, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I want to thank you very much for, for joining me today. It's been amazing sitting, chatting with you. And I hope, I, fingers crossed, that New York gets back to normal pretty soon. And we can get out and watch drag shows and then bars and perform again. Yes, totally. Thank you so much, Kyle, for having me. I had a great time speaking to you today. Amazing. Enjoy the rest of your day. Likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.